Hey, drama fam. Before you enjoy this gag-worthy episode with the star of AMC's Kevin Can Fuck Himself, Eric Mother Tuckin' Peterson, we want you to know about our Patreon. Here's the deets. Weekly twin talk episodes with your favorite twins, more than 40-plus episodes and videos in the archive, IG close friends access, first dibs on brand new merch, and more. $5 a month to join our Patreon fam, patreon.com slash the drama podcast. Also, there's a limited amount of our summer merch drop still available. Just head up to the link tree in all of our bios. You can find out how to get it. All right, now time for the show. Press play, curtain up an hour in. It's time to take spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got on the option? No, oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. Drama. Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life. In, in New, New York, York City, City and, and the, the world. world. You know what? We need to change the New York City part. Because is it we, time? I think it's time. We've do, been doing this podcast for, you know, a year and a half plus. We were only in New York for the first six months of it. I know. And most of our guests aren't even in New York anymore. That's true. We're not even in New York. We've the last time we recorded an episode was July, Kara Lindsay, July 2020. I love her. Me too. But anyways, we should change it. And maybe once we hit 100 episodes at the end of the summer, we can rebrand and and change it. Oh my God. New marketing, new images and everything. But Dylan, I don't know when this podcast is coming out. I mean, soon, because we're promoting something very special specifically. Yes, yes, yes. But we need to talk about the name on everyone's lips right now. And it's Britney. Yes. And I am so sad for Britney Spears. For those of you who, you probably know this by now, once you're listening to this, but she finally was able to speak in front of a judge about her. Wait, I always mess it up. Conservatorship. I always want to say conservatorship. But it sounds like a Jedi, like Vader. Yeah. This poor woman, she's like the strongest celebrity we have. Mm-hmm. That she's been honestly trapped in a prison that was not of her own making for the last 13 years. I mean, some of the things that she's dealing with, it's it's like Handmaid's Tale vibes. Yeah. And she, I think, in many ways, redefined celebrity in the late 90s, early 2000s, like being a woman celebrity, being, you know, a pop star who transitioned from girl to womanhood and media and paparazzi and everything. And I think that this will only continue to change the game for how people look at her, because I do think that good things are coming her way. I hope so. It, it mm-hmm. feels like everyone wants her to be well and to be able to move forward and move out of this this tough situation and and honestly fuck her father i know and i i just can't believe like the abuse this woman has gone through i know and connor i know you're a huge britney stan i love her yeah you did like a whole deep thing into her whole career a few years ago i did how gay <laughs> <laughs> but also i have something dramatic to say and we usually save the drama for the end okay and you know i i support all of the creatives and the people who are employed by the Once Upon a One More Time Britney Spears musical coming yes. to a stage near us very soon. I mean, we have friends who came on the podcast and they, they were cast in it and are, are in it. I really think it can't go forward right now until we know Jamie Spears is not involved in Britney's life anymore, you know? Yeah, I wonder what the logistics are there. I know, I really don't know. I know Britney went to some of the either yeah. labs or readings yeah. or whatever, but That's anyway. a good point. Our hearts go out to Britney Spears. She deserves the world. And we need to thank former guests of the pod, um, Haley Pachoon, Nick Adams, and Constantine Rusuli for always being there for Britney for this (laughs) whole thing. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. But anyway, I mentioned earlier that we are talking to this guest today for a very special reason. Mm -hmm. And it's to promote a new television show and also to get to know him. Like, who am I kidding? But 
I'm obsessed. And Me Dylan, too. We haven't, we haven't talked about it face to face. I know. Even even text to text. Other than I asked you a key question. You did. But the fact that we get to talk about it with the star is truly jarring and surreal. I know. But my question was, hmm. does Annie Murphy, who is the other star, mm-hmm. does she use her real speaking voice in the show? And I replied, how would you describe her real speaking voice? And I said, well... You know, it's it's lower than the character she famously played on Shit's Creek. And you said, you know what, Connor? I'll let it be a surprise. And surprised I was. <laughs> so I'm going to bring in our guest. Let's do it. Our guest today is the titular character on the new AMC dark comedy, Kevin Can F Himself, alongside the aforementioned Emmy winner, Annie Murphy, airing Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern. Prior to this leading turn, our guest has also brought his comedic chops to the small screen in Kirsty, Big Bang Theory, Modern Family, GCB, CSI, NCIS, all these acronyms, and even on the Disney Channel in Jesse, Curry Buckets, and Pair of Kings, as well as lent his voice to Madagascar a little while. And a little wild will be. He's also appeared in the Coen Brothers' The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. He's no stranger to the stage either, having toured the country as Shrek, William Barfee in the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, and as Buddy and Elf. On Broadway, he's appeared in Shrek, Peter and the Starcatcher, and led School of Rock as Dewey, and stole the show as Brick in Escape to Margaritaville. Please welcome to drama. Eric Peterson. Hello, guys. How are you? So good. It is so nice to meet you. What a fantastic intro. Thank you, guys. Eric, you're a star. Oh, thank you. Connor was tripping over all the letters that he had to, to piece together there. It is true. I've done a lot of shows with acronym. Or, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like CSI, NCIS, uh, GCB. It's some people call Law & Order L&O. So you could throw that in there as they well. Do. So yeah, I've done I've done quite a few of those. Well, and even Kevin can f himself. I'm like, is it f himself? Is it fuck himself? Is it fuck himself? I'll tell you what it is. The title of the show is Kevin can fuck himself. Is absolutely is. the title of the show. Uh, we do always, you know, if we're on like a live broadcast, you know, we will say f. But whenever possible, we always prefer to say Kevin can fuck himself. Yes, because it sounds so good, doesn't it? It does. It really does. <laughs> oh, love it. There was a moment in the pilot when Annie's character, Allison, yes, when she, Allison. she swears at one part. And I was like, this feels so good for the yeah. sitcom wife to like yeah. drop a F-bomb. She says, fuck in the pilot. And I think AMC allowed us two fucks in the season. So she says one in the pilot and then there's one later in the season. But they had to choose when they were going to use use their two fucks that they were allowed to give. Wait, that is so cool. The fucks to give. I love that, first of all. Yeah. But I hope it's the finale. That would be so like <laughs> meta full circle. That yeah. reminds me of, I remember there was press because in one season of The Walking Dead, Andrew Lincoln was permitted to use an F, the F word. Yeah. Th- that we've said. I don't know why I'm censoring myself. Yeah. <laughs> he was allowed to say fuck in one of the finales. And it was it was during yeah. like a crazy scene. I think he like bit someone's neck off and screams like, yeah. fuck, Carl. Do you yeah, watch yeah. The Walking Dead ever? Uh, I do. I, I've not watched it for the last few years, but I, I watched it up until, uh, with spoiler alert, when oh, yeah, no, yeah. A, a few like very key cast members were hit with baseball bats to oh, the yes. head. That was like, I think, it, so the, I got like seven seasons in 
And yeah. then I, I had, Eric, had believe it or not, that was yeah. 2016 that that all Jeez. happened. That yeah. was, I remember that was the, the summer I moved to New York and I, yes. th- that fall it came back and that was yeah, crazy. Yeah. And now you're an AMC leading man. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> just like, uh, just like Carl or not Carl, but uh, uh, Rick, Rick Grimes. Yeah, yeah. Rick, Rick Grimes. Yeah. <laughs> because also 2016 was pre Escape to Margaritaville, which we were obsessed with. So we're going to get dive into that. We're going to dive into sure. Kevin can fuck himself. But before all of that, Eric, I'm wondering, are you well? I'm well. I am well. I'm feeling very good. I'm healthy. My family is healthy. My kids are healthy. Uh, you know, I am excited to be like promoting this show that I'm very passionate about and happy with and think is important. So it's interesting. I, you know, I feel like we're all sort of checking in with each other in these weeks and months right now, because as the pandemic is seemingly ending or wrapping up, everybody's like, how are you doing? Did you make it? And I, I'll be honest, I've had a lot of sort of survivor's guilt in that Mm. I know that the pandemic obviously was incredibly tragic to the 600,000 people who passed away, to the millions of people who got sick, to the millions of people who lost friends and family, myself included. But I was able to stay healthy. I was able to keep my job. So I feel like this weird sense of like, I completely recognize how terrible the pandemic was. And I feel I empathize with that. But when people are like, oh my gosh, it was the the worst last year of my life. And I'm like, I had a pretty good year, you know, Mm -hmm. and I feel terrible even saying that, you know, but I am happy that, you know, things are coming back, theaters reopening, people are going out to restaurants, people are hugging again. One of the things that I've been doing when I'm seeing friends now is not only am I hugging them, but I'm having that moment where I literally like you hug. And then as you come out of the hug, I grab them by the shoulders. I just look them in the eyes for like three seconds to be like, we're here. We're alive. We made it good on us. You know? So I think that's uh, important to do. Wait, Eric, you have such a zest for life. I'm like, honestly, like all of a sudden very curious. Is that you always been this way? Did you learn this from someone? Like, where does that come from? I think I've always tried to be somebody who's like really grateful for where I'm at and like, look at the victories that you have in life and celebrate those. And I think that if you just pour positivity over everything that you do, there will be times where it's hard to do it and you do it through gritted teeth. But the more you can get in the habit of like being positive about everything in your life and the people around you's lives and just try to be somebody who's celebrating things around them and trying to battle cynicism, I think is what the world needs right now. Oh my God. I love it. Well, Eric, it's so funny to talk to you and and just see who you are as a person, because obviously you play sort of like a the typical sitcom dad, the, the, well, I guess he's not a dad on the show, but he's a husband on the show. Yeah. And I want to talk all about the show and how it came into your life. Um, but I have to say, I'm obsessed. It's it's very like King of Queens meets Family Guy, especially with the character that you're playing. Yeah. Meets WandaVision. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's the thing. Yes, it's like, that as well. I was describing it to my boyfriend. He goes, wow, it sounds like there's a lot of these shows now, like post WandaVision. And I was like, I feel like they've been in development. Like it can't just have been something post WandaVision, you know, at this point. It's brilliant. Valerie Armstrong, who created the show, came up with the idea back in 2014, I believe. 2014 or 16. What What her impetus for the show was, was sort of two things happening in one summer. Uh, there was the Kevin James sitcom, Kevin Can Wait, that was mm-hmm. on CBS. And they had, uh, it was his show that he sort of came back with after King of Queens. And Aaron Hayes, super funny, talented actress, was playing his wife. And they did yeah. the whole first season. And at the end of the first season, they killed off the wife mm-hmm. character. And they came back for the second season with literally just like a passing joke of like, 
oh yeah, she died. Moving on. And like they never dealt with the kids and they lost their mother or the, the husband, like his wife died. And and when Kevin James was interviewed about it, he sort of famously said, We wrote her off, we killed her off because we were literally running out of ideas. And a lot of people were incensed about that. Like, what kind of a comment is that? Because yeah. you were running out of ideas, like write ideas. That's your job. But to like just it just sort of showed how I think old school TV writers and producers and stuff viewed the classic sitcom wife as disposable or unimportant. Um, mm -hmm. So it was a combination of that. And then the other part was that same summer, uh, Valerie was listening to a podcast and there was two actresses who were talking about pilot season. And they said, they were saying how every pilot season, it's the same thing where my agents call me and say, all right, we got this new super funny sitcom. This time they really, they actually need like a funny female actress to play the wife like not mm -hmm. just like the carrying the laundry basket around they need somebody who's like really sharp really funny you got to be like really funny show your comedy and then these women would go in for the auditions and their lines would be like what do you mean honey mm -hmm. oh no and like they weren't actually jokes they weren't actually given anything to be funny with right. so it was the combination of like those two things that valerie was like i just want to write a show because she was just a writer's assistant at the time oh, and wow. she was like i want to i want to write a show about like uh, she pictured the first five minutes that she's like a sick uh, sitcom is happening. And the wife sort of is like frustrated. She walks into the kitchen. She looks right into the camera and she goes, my husband can go fuck himself. Mm -hmm. So she had like that first five minutes in her head, super clear. And then just wrote from there and AMC luckily, I mean, she did not have a huge resume before being given this show and she pitched it and they were like, go make it go make the whole show and order us right to series. And, and it was great. The result is genius. I mean, it gave me chills the first time it switched from multi yeah. to single cam. I mean, the tone changed, the co the coloring changed. I do have like a logistical question. Is yeah. it all filmed on the same set? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which is what's so cool about it. So the only, we don't film them obviously back to back when we're mm -hmm. doing multi-cam days, we're doing all the multi-cam scenes. And then when we do single cam days, they're uh, just doing that. Okay. But what they do, the only difference is like, for instance, in the main living room set, the sort of side walls when we're in multicam are maybe angled out just a tiny bit. Mm -hmm. And then for the single cam, they bring them more, you know, parallel. And then they bring in the fourth wall and ceiling. But just that difference is so dramatic. And then once you light it differently and they, I think they actually even shoot it in a different frames per second. Okay. The difference between the two, just because they look a little different to the eye. So yeah, I, I remember one day I, we had just shot a multicam scene the day before in the living room and it felt big and performative and felt like a theater show. It's theater. Yeah. It's totally theater. And I felt like, oh man, this is great. And this space just feels big and classic and look at that. And I was uh, at set and I had to do a, you know, we did COVID testing every other day. So we were always mm. at set, even if we weren't working. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go walk and just look at the set today and see if they're built anything new. And I walked into the living room set and I saw it with the fourth wall and the ceiling in. And I was like, holy shit, this feels yeah. so different. But the couch was in the same place. The doors were in the same place. It just was the combination of that fourth wall and the ceiling. And what it made me think about was, all of the classic sitcoms that we've watched over the years, like what would cheers have felt like if you were, if there was a wall right there, you mm -hmm. know, if, if you were had to sort of like shimmy by the wall to get, you know, to get in or right. what would Seinfeld have felt like if there was that wall and you could see what the TV they were looking at, like it just, it, it was so 
dramatic, just the, the difference of the fourth wall and the ceiling. Wow, that's so interesting. And I know, you know, most sitcoms, of course, typically have an in-studio audience as well. Yeah. But you guys didn't have that, right? Uh, sort of. Not really. Sort the, of? <laughs> yeah, the original plan was to have a full live studio audience and do the whole thing with, you know, the hype guy. If you guys, I don't know if you guys have ever been to a multicam taping, but... When they do it, there's usually like a hype guy who is explaining, you know, okay, this next scene, Kevin and Allison are just getting up from, you know, and they sort of (laughs) tell people and then they encourage them to laugh and it's, they play music and it's very intense. But for this, because of COVID, obviously we couldn't have the live studio audience, but we, what we did have was they hired like 10 to 15 laughers, professional laughers from Boston who were just like these local people that would come in. They all wore masks. They sat six feet apart behind a big curtain, like on the other side of the studio. And they had monitors so they could see what we were filming. And then they recorded their laughter, which was great because doing multicam is like doing a play. Mm -hmm. And to do that broad of comedy and not have actual laughter come back at you crushes your soul in such a deep way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because usually when we would do the scenes, we would do like, two takes without the laughers just to have it clean. And then they'd say, bring the laughers in. And then we do like, you know, two or three more takes with the laughers. And we would always, the directors would always tell the crew people, Hey guys, even when we don't have the laughers in, you can laugh. If what they're doing is funny, you know, you can Mm -hmm. laugh at it and it's fine because it will all get mixed together, you know, and the crew, because they were mostly single camera crew people, people that are used to that world were just so trained to not laugh. Like it doesn't matter what's happening. My job is to hold the camera. And so they, it w- we would do these jokes, these big, broad jokes, and just to silence. And it was like, huh, can we get these lappers in here? Like, <laughs> now? Because this is this is killing me. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, it was interesting. I, I feel like I have so much to say about the show. I love it. It's so original. It's a, a tour de force performance by Annie Murphy. You're so perfectly cast. And what I was thinking about, especially during the sitcom scenes, was that I, I felt odd watching it and i think that's the show nailed it because i was like reflecting on my childhood and i'd see reruns of sitcoms or whatever you know and i was like oh that was was that funny to me back then is it funny to me now what the joke because you're you're with allison you know she's who you're rooting for and so you just feel awful watching these funny scenes another thing i was thinking about was how, you know, whenever when I was growing up, you, you didn't see a lot of comic actors or television actors doing drama, and you didn't see a lot of dramatic actors doing comedy. Oh, and yeah. here we have all of these actors getting to do almost, I mean, aside from you so far. We do see you in some single cam shots. A like couple, sitting at the yeah, table. some fantasy moments, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Some fantasy moments. They get to do everything. And I just, yeah. I love original programming and so i'm obsessed it's so good i'm so glad that you said that and uh, you know i think that it is truly original which does feel so rare everything's like oh this is a new take on this but this show really does feel very fresh you know Mm -hmm. um and it does feel like something that we've not seen before and that feels sort of like familiar and also foreign at the same time um and i think you were saying that you felt odd as you were watching the sitcom scenes, then I think we've done our job because I think what the point of the show is, is we did not make the sitcom parts as a parody of sitcoms. And we didn't make it as like, oh, let's write some really terrible jokes to be like, look at these terrible sitcom jokes. <laughs> we, they really tried to write it as like, this is a show that would be on TV today, not mm-hmm. 10 years ago today. These jokes would all probably pass muster on a CBS sitcom today. And so it should feel super familiar. It should hopefully make you laugh at times. 
And then you should sort of be seeing what those jokes were at the expense of. And then mm-hmm. maybe you go, shit, I wish I didn't laugh at that. I shouldn't mm-hmm. be. This guy's a fucking asshole. Like what, <laughs> what am I, you know? And then, you know, there's a scene in episode four that's coming up in a couple of weeks where Annie is sort of talking about a lot of things, but she's like, you just sat there and you laughed at him all these years. And I think what it is, is it's, it's, she's saying it to a character, but she's also saying it to the audience. She's saying, you guys have laughed at this guy, not Kevin, but this archetype for years and years. And you've allowed him to sort of spew this intolerance and stupidity and lack of empathy and not being kind or truthful or loving to his partner. And it really is sort of challenging the audience to sort of really look back. And so my job was to sort of play Kevin in a way that is familiar and that you hopefully feel like, oh yeah, we like this guy. We're conditioned to like this guy, but then to see that he's an asshole, but I couldn't play him as like, I'm this terrible husband and look at my Mm -hmm. dumb wife, you know, like that would have been too on the nose and a little too like, well, yeah, of course we hate this guy. But if, Mm -hmm. if we, if we did the show right, you should feel odd or conflicted about the sitcom stuff. Yes. And I did because I loved you. I was like, oh, I love this. Guy. I know. It's, <laughs> I don't hate yeah. Kevin at all. Like I, I, right. I, I want to. Right. But he's lovable. And he like the scene with the two of you in the bed. I don't know if it was in episode one or two where yeah. you're in the bedroom. It's like, oh, like I see something here. Like he's yeah. such a good guy, but like life gets in the way or things happen. And well, I definitely have to say lines that I hated saying, you know, especially to the spectacular Annie Murphy, just because she's so (laughs) lovely, that what I like is some of the more terrible things that Kevin has done. He doesn't talk about them, but you see that information in the single cam where they say, Mm. you know, oh, you know, he had a feud with the male woman and got her deported or, you know, Mm -hmm. or he stole all of their money. Kevin never says any of that stuff. He's just sort of like, hey, life's good. Everything's good, you know? And, but then you find, which makes when you find out these terrible things that he's done that much more terrible and hurtful. I mean, I can only imagine where this, the season is going. How many episodes is it? It's eight episodes in the first oh, season. Oh, um, I know it's short, but they're hour long. So that it should feel, you know, that's true. Uh, filling, but yeah, eight episodes. Amazing. I love it. And I also have to say, I know a lot of the focus on, you know, the show is that it's, you know, taking the sitcom and then turning the camera slightly to the right and being like, no, but this is what's happening off screen. I think what's also happening with the single cam part of the show is also extremely original in the sense that we're following a woman's journey here. It's not like, you know, true detective or this, because it feels kind of like this moody, dark exploration of, you know, what's happening in this gritty, you know, I I stayed in my hometown vibe and maybe she's planning something. I don't want to spoil, (laughs) but um, I think it's also original in that sense too. So, I mean, shout out to all of you. I love it so much. And um, I can't wait to see where it goes. if it's going where I think it's going, we need to talk about one thing oh, wait, that she's using a Boston accent. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or is it? Or is it? I is it, is it. it Boston? Is it New Jersey? It's a Boston accent because okay. the show takes place in Worcester, uh, yes, Worcester, which does not look like Worcester when you write it out. It looks like Worcester, you know. Right. But it's Worcester, Massachusetts. <laughs> um, and yes, we all did uh, accent training because none of us were actually from there. Brian Howe, who plays my dad, who plays mm-hmm. Pete. He was from. Rhode Island. So he was the closest of having a natural accent. But luckily, Annie, she always jokes that she got to like do it the least because there's a line that uh, somebody says, like, I knew you'd be trouble when you tried to lose your accent in high school. So she's like, so I don't have to actually do a good accent because that that explains it away. 
Um, but yeah, but we all did, uh, we did the thick Boston accent. It's great. I love it. It really sets the place too. Cause it's definitely like a vibe. Yes. I've got to ask though, what is it like working with Annie Murphy? She's the best. She really is. And every person's like, how is she? Is she really nice in real life? And she <laughs> really is. I swear to God, she is. She's exactly what you would want her to be. She is super professional, super smart, super funny. When she shows up at work, she is like, completely present with you and like looks you in the eye and there's no, you know, when you're at that level, she's really riding high right now. Things are, things are going well for her. Sometimes people in that situation sort of are like with you, but they're sort of looking around to see mm-hmm. like, if there's somebody more important that I should be talking to, she's not that way. She really is like totally present with you when she's with you. And she's just, she's very Canadian in that she's just super polite <laughs> and, and a joy to be around. So yeah, I, I loved, loved, creating this show with her. She's spectacular. Love it. And you and you did it all during a pandemic, which I imagine had its added layers of challenges in terms of even collaborating together, you know? Yeah, well, it, it did. One of the things that because of the pandemic that happened was we were actually set to leave. So the pandemic started March 10th, 11th, 12th, somewhere in that, that range, right? Uh, whatever that date was, that following Monday, we were supposed to leave to, to go to Boston to start shooting. And so it was like oh. right when it happened that we like my bags were packed. I was ready to move to Boston to start filming. And they were like, ah, oh, OK, we're just going to pause for like a week. There's this pandemic thing. It should just be like a week or two mm-hmm. and then we'll go out. And as we all know, we all know. That was uh, uh, an under underestimation. Um, so we waited, I think we waited about three, three months before we actually, they set up protocols and were made it so we could shoot. So okay. in those three months, we were all actually getting together weekly to read through scripts, to just zoom and talk to each other and get to know each other. So it actually reminded me so much of theater where you have a long rehearsal process, which mm-hmm. not only allows you to know your character better, but just allows you to be more comfortable with your castmates, which in TV usually is really not the case. I mean, you mm-hmm. show up to shoot a TV show, you might get two seconds with the other actor be like, Hey, I'm Eric. Nice to meet you. We're doing the scene. All right, great. And then you do it. Like there's yeah. not, you don't have that, sort of moment to find, oh, this is your style. This is what I'm doing. But because we had these weeks and months before we started shooting, we were were able to really get to know each other. So when we started, we really felt like we could kind of hit the ground running. And then in regards to like the actual shooting of it, there was, you know, it was challenges in that we're always wearing masks and face shields. And that was like a nuisance at times. And, you know, you'd be rehearsing the scene like this and then they'd be like, all right, you can take them down now. And you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I, I feel like there is a large majority of our crew that I don't know what they look like because they, <laughs> they always had a mask on and they all wore the same like safety goggles. Okay. So they literally looked exactly the same. Like everybody from the neck to here was just exactly the same face. So we're excited that, you know, if we get a, a season two, fingers crossed, that we'll be able to look at people's faces. Yes. Yes. Well, I I, I have a good feeling that'll happen. So. <laughs> I, hope so, yeah. I hope so, too. It's so good. Everyone needs to watch it. All right, Eric. So yes. I have another question for you. We asked Great. all of our guests about their ring of keys moment as it pertains to a life in the arts, that moment you realized that you wanted to be a performer or that even that you were just interested in theater, entertainment, pop culture, anything like that. Do you feel like you had that moment? Yes. I have two, two of them. Awesome. They sort of that happened. So when I was probably like nine, 10, 11 ish in somewhere in that world, 
I saw uh, my parents were gone for the afternoon and I was watching PBS and I saw back to back. They showed Anchors Away and On the Town at oh, wow. old MGM musicals. Oh, and yeah. not, not only was I like transfixed into just like, oh, my God, I love this. But I started a lifelong obsession with Frank Sinatra from that moment on. So I, I am an enormous Sinatra buff. I listen to Frank Sinatra every single day of my life. I think about him all the time. I've books and I've done concerts. And so, yeah, so I love Sinatra and that all started that day, but I don't know that I was like, Oh, I want to be an actor. I think I was just like, I want to perform or entertain in the way that he's doing in this movie. And then um, by the time I got to high school, I was really into cartooning and I thought I was going to be a cartoonist. That was like oh. my dream was I wanted to be a professional cartoonist. And, uh, but I didn't think I'd want to be an actor, but I loved, you know, movies and, and plays and stuff like that. And my freshman year of high school, my plan was I was going to play soccer and do band. And I was not a great soccer player, but I was decent. I, I would have played, you know, I might not have started, but I would have played. But when I was a freshman in high school, I was 5'2 and 95 pounds. So I was so little and just like this tiny little freshman. And my best friend uh, in high school, all growing up was named Larry Spertoli. And Larry was like, hey, they're having tryouts for the football team. They just started yesterday and you, the coach said people can still join. And I was like, wow, I think I'm too little to play football. I love football, but I, I'm too little to play. And my dad was there, like Larry was sleeping over my house. And my dad was like, you got to play football. It'll make you a man. This is going to be the best. You got to do this. And I was like, uh, I don't know. My little brother played football. He's like, you got to play football. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to try out for the football team, I guess. All right, here we go. So I went to football tryouts and I lasted about two weeks when we were just like running drills. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as they were like, all right, now we're going to start contact. We're going to start tackling each other. I was like, all right, here we go. Fingers crossed. <laughs> now remember, I'm 5'2", 95 pounds. Uh -huh. All of the like big guys that had been playing football since they were, you know, seven years old were like, hey, Peterson, you want to be my partner for this tackling thing? And I was like, okay. And they just like, everybody wanted to be my partner so they could just blow me up, just like explode me with these tackles. And I spent like a week of just getting destroyed on the football field to the point where I, I literally couldn't walk anymore. And I went oh to my, my mom. God. I was like, I was like, mom, I, I love football. I don't think I can do this. I, like, I can't even walk. I'm so bruised. And she was like, it's okay. You can quit. And I was like, I don't like to be a quitter, but I just, I can't do this. And so I went and I, I quit the football team. No big deal. Coach respected me, but I had missed the soccer tryouts because I had gone to football. Right. So I had nothing to do in the fall, the start of my freshman year. And a friend was like, Hey, you should try it from band was like, you should try Try out for the play and i was like okay i guess i could do that and it was the hobbit and i played uh feely one of the uh little dwarves that uh -huh. helped bilbo baggins you know on this quest and instantly within a day i was like these are my people this is my tribe this is where i am meant to be and then i never i honestly never looked back i I'm obsessed with that whole story. <laughs> it's it's like one of those, like, you know, like the musical If Then, like, the, you know, yeah. if you would have done this, this wouldn't have happened or yes. whatnot. It's totally. it's like that. The series of, um, you know. This... Unfortunate events <laughs> that led to good things. Yes. You were also very short, so I'm surprised they didn't cast you as Bilbo. I know. I think I was a freshman. I wasn't going to get a big part. Oh, okay. Well, I think, you know. I think built hobbits are taller than dwarves. Than dwarves. I think mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to picture the lineup. Uh, if I, if I, yes, I, I believe that is true. <laughs> you know, I saw a community theater production of The Hobbit once, and there was a female actress playing Bilbo, yes. and it was revolutionary to me at the time, but no one really thought much of it. So I love that idea. Yeah, that was really great. She was that amazing. Was good. 
She was great. And Gollum or Smeagol was also a lady. A young girl, nice. I should say. So we did the did the football team end up supporting you in The Hobbit? Did they all come and see it? No, not in The Hobbit, but I was definitely a a nerd, not many friends freshman year. And then like my junior year, I kind of be I had a growth spurt and started to get a little more popular. Yeah, and yeah. by then I became actual friends with the football team. And then this is a great twist. I never even thought about telling the story in this way, but it's so true. <laughs> Those same guys that I was auditioning with for the football uh-huh. team yeah. uh, trying out with ended up there my senior year I got like three or four of them to try it for the play and they got cast and they loved it and so then all the football team was coming to see the plays because like I got some of my buddies who were on the football yeah. team to audition for plays which was awesome what was the show your senior year it was the old like uh, Italian farce called Tura. oh wow and it was an obscure one yeah sounds like, like a, a hit media play yeah, oh yeah <laughs> People loved it. Okay, so then you end up being a Broadway star. (laughs) What happened in between? Well, uh, I went, so once I started doing high school theater and was like, all right, this is, this makes sense. These are my people. And then I started getting cast as the lead in most of the shows in high school. And I was like, all right, I think by, I was about my junior year of high school that I was like, I think I'm going to let cartooning go and I'm going to try to be an actor. So then I was figuring out where to go to school. Uh, didn't have a ton of guidance. Like now I look at kids that are like in high school and like, it seems very clear of like, if you want to do musical theater, there's these five or six schools, you want to go to one of them. Growing up, there was no sense of that, at least in my community of somebody being like, oh, if you want to do musical theater, maybe go to Michigan or go to CCM or yeah, Mm -hmm. or go to NYU. I was just basically looking at the colleges around my house. Um, And so I ended up going to Bradley University, which I love. Um, it's a small school in Peoria, Illinois, oh, nice. small liberal arts school. Uh, and I was a theater major, just a straight up acting major. We did one musical every other year, you know, just did two musicals in college. I was like, all right, this is good. I'm, I, this is what I want to do for sure. And my plan was when I graduated was to, uh, I got a job at the Barn Theater in Augusta, Michigan, which is one of the oldest uh, summer stock theaters in the country. Mm-hmm. And I was going to do that summer in Michigan and then move out to LA because while I loved musicals, I really really loved sitcoms and I really wanted to do a sitcom. I wanted to be a sitcom actor. And I was like going to do this summer in Michigan and move out to LA. While I was in Michigan that summer, I met a girl who started dating. I thought she was great. At the end of the summer, I was like, where are you? Like, what are you doing after the summer? And she was like, oh, I'm moving to New York. And I was like, that's crazy. I'm moving to New York too. <laughs> and I totally changed my life, my whole life plan in a conversation with this girl. Um, and we moved to New York and she's now my wife and we have two kids. So this was the right call. 100%. Yes, it was. Happy ending. And so, yes. And so we moved to New York and we lived in New York. Uh, from two, I moved in 2003 to New York City and was able to sort of cobble things together. And, and luckily was also able to even do a few little TV things, some Law and Order stuff, you know, just oh, yeah. to get my TV resume kind of going. Eventually got the, my first big job was uh, 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee Tour, first yes. national tour, which I loved and did that for a year. And then eventually um, got asked to be a vacation uh, medical leave swing in Shrek to play mm-hmm. one of the three little pigs and uh, Papa Ogre and be an, uh, like the third understudy for Shrek on Broadway. So that was my Broadway debut, which was spectacular amazing and then the tour of shrek happened after that and i got to play shrek and and then it sort of all came from there that's such a cool journey because i'm trying to think like what would have been on broadway when you arrived in the city it was probably like hairspray wicked of course wicked like a year later. Mama yeah. Mia. 
Yeah. And so, and spelling bee, of course, was in the, in like urine town, stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. So you were the third outer city. And so what did Brian Darcy James do the entire run? No. So Brian, Brian originated it, uh, and did the, I think it was open probably like maybe just over a year on Broadway. I want to say Shrek was he not did long like, enough. Thank you. I agree. We also were sort of a part of, cause it closed in 2009, I want to mm-hmm. say, but it was mm-hmm. sort of like the, the financial crash of 2008, sort of a lot of things just kind of got, yeah. Screw it. Um, yes. But anyways, Brian did it for like 10 months or something like that. And then when he left the show, Ben Crawford, who's currently the Phantom of the Opera. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Ben was the standby. Ben became Shrek and I was then became the standby. So Ben did uh, like the last like 10 weeks of the Broadway run. Uh, I was able to go on a couple times, which was amazing on Broadway. Uh, so I did play Shrek on Broadway. There you go. I have a good story. This is a great story for you guys about that. So. When I got bumped up to the standby role, I had my put-in rehearsal uh, on the stage. Now, as you know, especially deep in the run of a show, nobody wants to go to a fucking put-in. So, like, (laughs) it was a lot of swings. Some of the cast had shown up. Uh, My friend Justin Greer was, who was our dance captain, was playing Fiona. You know, so, like, (laughs) it it was a very mismatched show. But it was on the stage, and I was in full Shrek costume and makeup. So for me, I was like, I just played Shrek on Broadway. I did that. I don't care that nobody was in the audience. I did it. I will forever own that and have that. Cause this was also, I think the second week that Ben was, was playing Shrek. So that was on a Friday. I did the show on, uh, or the put in on Friday, went home. Uh, when I got home, my wife had like padlocked the door, which was a little odd. And I was like, Hey, can I come in? And she was like, yeah, yeah, just a second. And then when she answered the door, she had a video camera. And she was filming me and I was like, oh, she wants to know how great I was in the put-in. Uh-huh. That makes sense. <laughs> All right, cool. And so she's like, how'd it go today? I was like, it was awesome. I did great. It was hard, but I figured out a lot. And I'm like, so excited. I played track on Broadway. I did it. Oh my God, this is amazing. And she was like, I'm so happy for you. And I was like, yeah. And then our conversation kind of ended, but she was still filming me. And I was like, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you still filming me? And she <laughs> said, look in the bathroom. And I was like, okay. So I went in the bathroom. She had done some laundry. It was hanging up. And I was like, thank you for doing the laundry. I'm glad you did that. She's like, look at the sink. And I was like, oh, and I looked at the sink and there was four positive pregnancy tests there. And so I was like, oh my God, we were so happy and excited. (laughs) And we stayed up all night. Just like, what if it's a girl? What if it's a boy? What are we going to name it? Oh my God, we're parents. Oh my God. And like, our life is changing. We're so happy. Barely got any sleep. Saturday morning, the next day at about, 10 a.m. the stage manager called me and she goes, Ben is sick. You're on a Shrek for both shows today. Of and course. I was like, are you kidding me? And I was like, this is the greatest 24 hours of my life. You know? <laughs> and so I went to the theater and we did the show and, you know, Sutton was in the show and Sieber and Daniel Breaker. Oh, yeah. And it was amazing. And everybody was like, oh my God, Eric, you were so like focused and like so centered. And I was like, you have no idea. I think honestly, because half of my brain was like, I'm going to be a dad. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't able to totally freak out about it. And so, yeah, in, in 24 hours, I did a put in for Shrek, found out I was going to be a dad and then started Shrek for, for two shows on Broadway. That is an amazing story. Yeah. <laughs> I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. <laughs> so that's how, you know, how old your child is. If you think back to, totally. You know? totally. Yeah. And then, so then my daughter was actually born on the tour. She was born two nights after oh. opening night of the tour. And so she, my wife and my daughter came on the tour with me 
And we drove the whole tour as opposed to flying just so we could have, you know, the baby gate and the crib mm -hmm. and the toys and everything. And so we, uh, her first year of life, I actually can remember like, oh, she first walked when we were in Tampa and she first looked at me when we were in Houston, you know, cause I can like picture it with the hotel room that we were in. And so I actually have a very categorized sort of memory of her first year of life. That's so that is cool. Beautiful. And now you have another another kid as well. I do. Yeah, my son Miles is six, so my daughter is ten. She actually, this is I keep telling these stories. We but love it. I love it. I ju just on Facebook today, you get reminded of like the memories. Mm -hmm. It was ten years ago today that my uh, daughter took her first steps. Oh my! And gosh, on that's that so tour, cute because it just came up in my like Facebook memories. Yeah. Gosh, ten years ago. So yeah. then, did you did you make it back to New York after the tour ended? So the tour ended in L.A. Uh, it wasn't supposed to, but they decided to go non-equity, like, you know, after about a year. And so they were Drama. like, we're gonna, I know for real. <laughs> and uh, so then they were like, we're going to finish the tour uh, with like six or seven weeks at the Pantages Theater in L.A. And Legendary. They announced that like halfway through, three quarters of the way through our tour. So we had every intention of going back to New York where all of our stuff was still there. But then when they said we're going to end in L.A. And as I told you guys, I had always wanted to move to L.A., Sure. I kind of said to my wife, I was like, I don't know, maybe this is a good point. Maybe we just stay in LA at the end of the tour and see how that goes. And she agreed. And so we did. And like, I was lucky that, you know, Shrek being in LA for six, seven weeks, got me a bunch of meetings and cast and directors came to see it. I was able to get modern family pretty quickly after that. It, once I was in LA and then it was like, all right, we're here and let's, let's do this now. Oh my God. That's how the story went. That's so cool. Wait, I have a question too. When did GCB yes. happen? And I, I, did you work with Kristen? I did not work with Kristen. Okay. Uh, GCB happened in like, so I moved to LA in 2011. It was probably 2011 or 2012, somewhere in there. Um, but so I didn't work with Kristen. Uh, it would have been great, obviously, both being theater people. Sure. But I did on my show, Kirsty. Kristen was a guest star and we oh, had a yes. bunch of scenes together. So it was great when we finally met because we had not worked together before, but we had had the same agent for the first part of our careers with obviously a bajillion mutual friends. She felt like, oh, it's, it, you know, when us theater folks find each other, it's like, all right, you're safe. We're safe yeah. together. And so we... <laughs> We hung out the whole time that she was uh, guest starring on my show. But yeah, she's the best. Oh, love it. I'll say this. I loved my time on that show. Mm -hmm. I was so happy to be doing a sitcom and to be a series regular on a sitcom. And honestly, learning from Kirstie Alley, from Michael Richards, and from Rhea Perlman, who really are legends oh, yes. oh, in yeah. the world of sitcom. I felt like I learned so much about this art form that I love deeply. And so like... It was great. And, you know, Kirsty had such a great energy while we were shooting. She would come into work every day and announce to everybody in the room, aren't we so fucking lucky to be doing what we're doing? And she would say it super loud. And, and everybody would kind of be like, yeah, yeah we are. And, and, and it was a great way to sort of set the tone. I love it. I love it. Oh, my God. Okay, so we, we're actually wrapping up here. But before we okay. go to our closing segment, I need to just tell you that I loved Escape to Margaritaville. It was so fucking fun. Thank you. And it was good too. Thank you. I, you know, that's what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be fun. And, you know, I think at times it, I, I will say this, I think at times it got unfairly maligned as like a touristy show or like low entertainment. But the thing is, is that we weren't trying to make fun home. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We were, we were purposely trying to make 
a two hour experience in a theater that was just fun. And there was lots of, there's a hundred percent a place for good dramatic theater that challenges the audience and says things about society. But I think that it is also just as important to have just a couple minutes to just like not really think about too much and have some corny jokes told to you, some fun music, get a drink at intermission and just yes. like enjoy the theater without the weight of expectation and thinking. And while those things are super important and we need those things, especially now in that moment, when we were making that show, what we were trying to do was make something just fun and enjoyable. So well said. Thank you for making it because I agree with you. I hate that pressure of leaving a theater and feeling like I need to have something intelligent and extremely well thought out to say right. about, a, it was a critique on this right. and that. And it's like, I'm not always in the mood for that. Right. So yeah. And some, sometimes you are, and, and obviously there is great theater that does that, but sometimes you also, you know, sometimes you want to have meat and potatoes that just are like familiar and just feel good. And we, you know, <laughs> that, that cast and crew and creative team of Margaritaville, we all are still very tight. We all still talk. I just this morning sent a few new pun jokes to the cast uh, because I like <laughs> to just sprinkle those in every once in a while because my character in, the, in Margaritaville mm -hmm. just loved puns. And so oh, yeah. I occasionally would just send them send him a quick pun. And you worked with one of my baby daddies, Paul Nolan, who oh, was so yeah. good and truly like you, you want to say snubbed for a Tony nomination, yeah. truly held down the fort and was so good. Yes. And, and in a season that everyone was saying, oh, everything's an adaptation or everything is, mm -hmm. you know, was a movie first. This, the music might not have been original. It's just great. The story was, that we know. Yeah. The story was. And that was one yeah. of the only new story, like scripts on Broadway that season. And it was yeah. fun as hell. So thank yeah. you. And thank I you. still have my beach ball from, yeah. <laughs> from the show. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. Oh my God. Okay. So before we say goodbye, we like to to end on a dose of drama, something to recommend, rant, rave about, muse on. It could be anything. And I do have something that I want to say today. It's not necessarily drama, but I just need to give a shout out to the iconic actress, Ellen Pompeo, a Bostonian, actually, yes, who... Yeah has you know, held down the fort for 17 years on Grey's Anatomy. And I just read this awesome article that was about tweets, which is, I don't know what's happening all of a sudden. But anyway, she was interacting with a fan on Twitter who was telling her that like they hated this last season of Grey's Anatomy. They hated that it was about COVID. They've lost interest in the show. And she responded, she's such a badass. She just goes, that's okay. You don't have to love it. We're making the show, either you love it or hate it. She's like, and honestly, 17 years is a long time. The only show I've ever finished was The Sopranos. So yes. thank you for, you know, at least checking us out and supporting us. And I just have to say, she is great. She has kept this show going forever. She's really nailed the assignment every episode. I love her. She seems like a badass. And um, the drama is that there is no drama because she's just seems really real. And um, I actually think they did a good job with Grey's Anatomy this season. It was must-watch TV in some ways with these beach scenes where they were bringing back all the yeah. your favorite actors and characters. So I think it was it was a clever way, although I did think they were going to kill Meredith Grey to COVID, which would have been very strange. But they, yeah. they didn't, thank goodness. But anyway. You know, I, I, I have to respect that. I always wonder what the the correct way to deal with Twitter, the Twitter sphere, all mm -hmm. of like, you know, comments and stuff like that. Part of me is like, just stay above it. You don't need to respond. You just, uh -huh. you know, this, the, it doesn't matter. But then part of me thinks that when, when actors or creatives do sort of engage and say, well, no, this is what we were trying to do. Like, you don't want to go down a rabbit hole. It can only end badly, but 
I think it's, I, I always really respect somebody that can be like, listen, we're proud of what we made. You like it or you don't. It's art. Everything that we're making is art. It's, you know, it doesn't have to be Picasso. We're all taking nothing and turning it into a story or a painting or a sculpture or a song and saying, do you like this? And not everybody's going to like it. And when they don't, you say, that's okay. Do you like this? Do you mm-hmm. like this? And that's, I mean, that's what we have to do. So, uh, so props to her. Props to Ellen Pompeo. I love it. But what but what am I uh, excited about? Yeah, what's your what's your dose? Well, okay, this is a little and it's I actually didn't just watch this, but I was just talking about it last night with a friend and I, I'm so passionate about it. If any of your viewers listeners have not watched in and of itself on Hulu. Have you guys watched this? No, but it is on my list. Oh, my god, you must. You okay. must. It is especially as theater guys it is, it's, so it's a filmed theatrical experience and that's all you should know. Okay. That is honestly the best way to go into it is literally know nothing about it. It says at the beginning, it's like, this is an hour and a half. Do us a favor, turn off your phone, just experience it. And it's even just them doing that made me go, Oh, all right. Yes. What are we doing? You know, <laughs> like it, it is so, it is such a great story. It is exciting. It is unexpected. It's thrilling. So definitely check out I think his name is Derek Gallardo, Darren Gallardo, something like yeah. that. But just search in and of itself. It's on Hulu. Okay. I Drama. love it. Yes. And of course, everyone everyone should check out Kevin Can F himself as well. And they should also follow you to keep up with all the announcements about the show. You're on Twitter yes. at Eric Peterson 44. And yes. on Instagram is Eric Pete, right? Simple. That's right. And and also you can follow my fashion Instagram, which is the Portly Gentleman. Yes. The Portly Gentleman, all one word. I started that a few years back. I love fashion. I love clothes. I love buying clothes. I love styling clothes on myself and other people. And I have a a sort of a mission with that Instagram account that I want to show regular guys who are not like model skinny that you can actually wear really cool clothes. And you also don't have to go to Gucci and Prada. You can get them at Old Navy and Target. And and there is a way to shop and put together outfits that flatter you and also look really cool. I appreciate your mission so much, Eric. As a as a man of size myself, I really appreciate that. And y- there aren't many um, fashion icons I can sort of model myself after. And I'll or I'll look at a picture of a celebrity and I'll think, oh, I want to wear that. And then I'll get it. And I'll just, you know, it's like what you think you're ordering versus what you receive. And yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. Don't, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm gonna give that a follow immediately because Please that do. that's Please fantastic. Do. And I really appreciate your mission there. Thank you. Thank you for your time. You are a wonderful guy. You have the best energy and I can't wait to see the rest of Kevin can fuck himself. Thank you guys. It was a real pleasure talking with you both. Awesome. All right, um, Connor, everyone should follow you at Connor McDowell, me at Dylan McDowell and us at The Drama Podcast. Until next time, Connor. Drama. Drama. Drama.